Welcome to the Let's Get Down to Business podcast, hosted by myself, Daniel Jackson, a qualified mortgage and protection advisor for Jackson Financial Solutions. Join me on this podcast journey, where I will share with you regular mortgage and insurance tips. Plus, as an additional bonus, I'll be interviewing inspiring guests, both from inside and outside of the industry, who are likely to talk and share openly about their business. So without further ado, I'm Daniel Jackson, and let's get down to business. Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Let's Get Down to Business podcast. This week's episode is all about top tips for first-time buyers. So it's specifically for those who want to get onto the property ladder, but are not sure where to begin. Now on a personal level, the first time buyers out there are my favorite types of clients for a number of reasons. So I will break that down as the episode progresses. But what this episode will give you is a bit of guidance really as a first time buyer, getting to know the process. So what I'm going to do in this episode is take you through various scenarios regarding the house buying process as a first time buyer. So that can include things as whether we feel a mortgage is right for you, what sort of deposit is required nowadays in this market. I'm going to give you different ways of boosting your mortgage chances as well. And also, in summary, I'll take you through the mortgage journey from start to finish, ensuring that the mortgage process is as simple and straightforward as possible for you. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode, take some notes if necessary, and please feel free to forward on this episode to any potential first-time buyers that may need a bit of help, guidance, advice along the way. That'll be hugely appreciated. Right, let's crack on with the episode. So the first question that you may ask yourself is, what is defined as a first-time buyer? Well, for me, a person that is generally classified as a first-time buyer is someone that is buying their only or main residence and have never owned a property residentially in the UK or abroad before. Now, if you are under this classification, then this podcast episode is definitely for you. So allow me to move on to the first scenario, which is discussing whether a mortgage is right for you in this current climate. So as a first-time buyer, getting a mortgage is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, financial commitment that you're ever likely to make. So it should be taken seriously. However, you know, while it might feel scary, it, it doesn't need to be difficult. So as I'm going to explain later on in the episode, there is a lot of help available to you. Now, this might sound that we're blowing our own trumpet here, but you can and often should use a mortgage broker such as myself to go through the options with you. So hear me out on this. For example, if you were to go to your bank or building society that you've been with, say, 10, 15 years, you may potentially fail on their affordability criteria, their credit check, etc. Now, that's not a bad thing, but why you should use a broker is because we have access to information you don't such as the lender's credit and affordability criteria. So in summary, we should be able to match you to the right deal for your circumstances. Now, the next question may be, 
why bother creating an episode for first-time buyers if you're just going to get a broker to do it all for you anyway? Now, that's a fair question, but the answer is quite simple, really. Mortgage brokers are advisors. They're not teachers. Now, I'm trying to change the narrative a little bit by creating an episode to help you through the journey, what you should or shouldn't do technically. However, ultimately, it's you who's going to make the decision and it's you who will feel the impact of that decision as well. So try and take this episode as a way to maybe tool up your knowledge to put you in a confident position to make the right decision when buying your first property. And hopefully by the end of this episode, I hope that you'll not only understand how to get a mortgage, but how to get the best mortgage possible. Now, I've been advising personally for around five years, so I know things were incredibly different. Prior to the 2008 recession, you only had to catch a mortgage lender's eye for it to throw a mortgage deal at you. So what I mean by this is you could borrow whatever you wanted. Sometimes, shockingly, even more than the home you were buying was worth. So for example, you could have purchased a property for £100,000 but borrowed £105,000. Now, time and the credit crunch has changed things radically and possibly for the better as well. So nowadays, as I'm doing this podcast recording in May 2023, people are still struggling to get mortgages and it hasn't been made any easier since the coronavirus pandemic, really. So the starting point for first-time buyers is no longer about choosing the mortgage that's right for yourselves. It's more about ensuring that you'll be chosen for a mortgage loan by a company or a lender at a rate that is affordable for you. The next question I would ask myself from there is, can I really afford a mortgage in this current climate? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty of it. It is a numbers game. So I would advise, before you do anything else, please take a good look at your finances. This will enable you to work out what you can realistically afford to pay each month. So do your homework and find out what's available from there. I would say it's important to do this before you approach a lender. So you can approach us as brokers to go through mortgage calculations to see how much your mortgage is likely to cost you each month. That's a good starting point. And then from there, think carefully about whether you can afford it and what would happen in the worst case scenario if interest rates was to suddenly rise. For me, your mortgage needs to be within your comfort zone financially. So what I'm saying is don't push yourself too hard because you'll risk future unaffordability. And obviously that can be catastrophic. For example, your home could be repossessed if you're unable to keep up with your repayments. Now, when I receive inquiries from first-time buyers, the first question they tend to ask is, how much can I borrow? And that is a great question. Now, as a general rule of thumb, historically, what lenders would do is simply multiply your income to work out how much they could lend to you. So for example, if you were a single first-time buyer applicant, let's say, you could borrow four times your single salary. Or if you're in a couple, that would be offered four times your joint salary. So let me give you an example as a single applicant. You earn £20,000 a year, times that by four, 
£80,000 is the maximum amount that a lender could give you. Nowadays, it is all about affordability. So what lenders will do is look at your income and compare it to the outgoings that you've got currently, such as bills or other debts, financial commitments, and work out from there how much spare cash you have each month to determine whether you can afford your mortgage or not. Now, that can get tricky with several lenders because they're so picky nowadays, if I can say that, um, that even if you've paid your debts off, say on a credit card just before applying, they factor in how much available credit you have or they may see you as a higher risk if you're using more than half the credit that is available to you as well. And they also factor in all your credit card and loan repayments. So what I'm saying is once they've done all the maths there, they'll want you to have a cushion. And that is because in case mortgage rates rise. So as a result, mortgage lenders will rather stress test you, if, if that makes sense, on a higher mortgage rate. And this is to check to see if you can still afford to repay. And that is the difference. Now, allow me to move on to the next scenario, which is what sort of deposit is required for first-time buyers nowadays? So I'm going to bring up the coronavirus pandemic again, because I remember when I first started out advising, COVID-19 had hit, and I remember that it made it more difficult than ever, particularly for first-time buyers, to get a mortgage at all. And what they needed was a substantial deposit together to be able to boost their mortgage chances. But having a substantial deposit has its benefits. For me, it doesn't only prove that you're solvent and have some element of financial discipline, but what it also means is the mortgage loan is less of a risk for the mortgage lender. That's because a mortgage, simply put, is a secured loan. So in other words, if you can't repay the loan, the mortgage company gets you home. So by lending the money, it is taking a gamble on those house prices. Nowadays, I would say you'd often need a minimum deposit of 10%, which will enable you to get a good choice of mortgage deals out there. However, what I will say changes on a regular basis with lenders offering more low deposit deals, such as 5%. However, if you're in the market and want to get a good mortgage interest rate, you're going to have to put a lot more down as a deposit. For example, a minimum 20% of the home's value will be a good place to start. And if you've got more than 40%, that is where you'll see the market leading deals, whether it's through a newspaper or in a shop window at the Banker Building Society. What I'm going to say now is quite simple. The golden rule in terms of deposits is the bigger the deposit, the better the interest rate, the lower your monthly repayments and the cheaper the mortgage. Now, the difference between a 5 and 10% deposit is huge. The next big jumps are at the 20% and then 40%, as I mentioned before. So if you have any chance of building up a deposit... I would definitely recommend doing it, only if you can, of course.
So I mentioned earlier the number of 5% deposit mortgages. Now, they dwindled during the COVID pandemic, as I mentioned. However, they have started to make a comeback and increasingly more so since particularly the launch of the mortgage guarantee scheme that you may have heard of that the government launched back in April of 2021. So what this scheme um, allowed you to do was the government covered a portion basically of the mortgage risk on properties that were worth up to £600,000. This does exclude new builds, so do bear that in mind if you're interested in new build properties. So lenders can offer more up to 95% loan-to-value mortgages. But what I'd recommend is try not to favour a mortgage just because it's part of a scheme. Um, they aren't any better for borrowers, really. It's just there just in case you're unable to save for that substantial deposit. So what I'd recommend is pick solely based on which offers the best terms. Another thing, you know, when you see these best buy tables, whether they're in, you know, online, in newspapers, maybe in a shop window at a bank or building society, and it says LTV, not deposit. I thought it'd be just useful to give you a brief explanation into what that means. So LTV stands for the loan to value ratio, which is the percentage of the property value you're loaned to as a mortgage. So in other words, it's the proportion that you are borrowing. So let me calculate this for you. All you need to do is simply subtract your deposit amount as a percent of the property value from 100%. So all I mean of this is if you were to purchase a £100,000 home and you'd saved a 5% deposit, that means you owe 95% loan to value. The 5% deposit would equate to five grand and you would have a mortgage amount to repay over a certain specified term of £95,000. It's very difficult in a podcast to explain that, um, but there's always some good Best Buy tables out there to give you a breakdown on how that would work for you. It's probably worth thinking about loan-to-values, LTVs, for a moment, because they're not just affected by the amount that you put into a, a property, a house, but also by the house prices as well. So for me, that's very crucial. By buying a property, you're investing in an asset where the price moves up or down. For example, you could be repaying your mortgage on a capital and interest repayment. So that means you've paid off a little bit of your mortgage and you owe less. So in the future, if you came to remortgage, plan to get a new deal, and the house value's gone up, then your LTV, your loan to value, is a lower percentage. That is of benefit to you over time. Coming back to deposits for a brief moment, what are the different options available for yourself as a first-time buyer when saving for that mortgage? Well, the first one to consider that sticks at the top of my mind is called a lifetime ISA. So if you're a first-time buyer, technically saving for a mortgage deposit, this lifetime ISA was launched by the government, gosh, over six years ago, I'm thinking 2017. Now that is worth considering. So what it's designed to do for you is help you buy your first home or even save for retirement. And I think the criteria is, I think I'm right in saying this, that you must be aged 18 or over, but under 40 years of age to open one. 
Now, the main benefit of this, it lets you pay up to 4,000 per year into it, each tax year I'm referring to. And this can be used as cash savings. So you do get interest on it, or you could invest it into stocks and shares to help it grow a lot more. Um, and this is the breakdown, really. So the maximum bonus that's given to you, the government will then add a 25% deposit on top. I think that's pretty good, considering what's out there at the minute. So the max bonus potentially on a calculation is, is 33 grand, unless rules change. Um, you can use your lifetime ISA to help you buy your first home if your property costs 450 grand or less. Now, if you're buying with someone that is also a first-time buyer, you can use both your lifetime ISAs. So if you're a couple that are looking to buy your first home and haven't got a savings plan in place, maybe that lifetime ISA would benefit you. Another method was a help to buy ISA off the top of my head, but I believe that's now closed to new applicants. But if you're one of those that got in on time, it's still possible to to get a better interest rate. So you can change provider or transfer your help to buy ISA to a lifetime ISA as well to, to help your money grow. Another deposit method for first-time buyers to consider is called a gifted deposit. And this is where parents or grandparents may kill me for telling you this, but it could be of benefit if you wanted to buy your first home. So in summary, it's an agreement between your parents and grandparents that they're willing to gift you a certain amount of deposit to put towards your first home, your first mortgage. Lenders tend to want a gifted deposit letter, so it's written expression from a parent or grandparent to say, yes, I am willing to give my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter a certain amount, X amount of money to put towards their first mortgage, signed, dated, and then it's all checked and verified by the solicitors and lenders themselves. Another option to consider is where parents can be um, specified or act as guarantors. So that's quite a big topic, really. So it's worth speaking through um, these terms and conditions with a broker such as myself. So what it would do is take parental income into account as well as the child's income as long as the parents can still cover their own mortgage and other bills. So it can technically help you get a bigger mortgage if necessary. Now to avoid tax complications, the parents aren't listed as owners, so they don't need to panic about being on the title deeds, but they guarantee to cover the mortgage payment if you're unable to do so. So they are technically liable for the repayments and arrears. So do factor that into the equation. One last thing to consider from a deposit point of view before I move on to the next scenario is parents can also help their children without surrendering their cash. So what I mean by that is there's a couple of offset mortgages that are available where in a nutshell, they can use their savings to reduce the child's mortgage and that'll still allow them to access the cash if necessary. There's also other scenarios where a parent can deposit cash into the lender's savings account and it'll be held in there for a certain length of time, maybe three to five years, still earning interest, but it reduces the LTV amount for the first time buyer. And then after three to five years, the parents can get out the cash and then use it for their own purpose. As long as the first time buyer, the client, has kept up their e-payments.
So the parents will be hoping that they do that to get their money back out after a certain length of time. I hope this episode has been useful so far. We've just got a couple more scenarios to to touch on regarding the house buying process. And then any questions, feel free to leave comments, um, DM me directly or email me. Not a problem at all. So the next scenario I want to consider is the different ways that we can boost your mortgage chances as a first-time buyer. As we mentioned earlier, building up a substantial deposit is a good way to boost your mortgage chances. The more you've got saved, the better the deals that are out there for you. All mortgage lenders view clients very differently. All mortgage lenders view clients very differently. But there's one determining factor that will help you moving forward, and that is boosting your credit score. Now, boosting your credit score might not be a quick fix. So some of the techniques I'm going to tell you may need to be done months before applying. So ensure you do all the necessary groundwork in good time, or there is a risk that you could be rejected. At the end of the day, the mortgage lender's main aim is to ensure that you're a profitable customer for them and can make your repayments. It does this mainly by credit scoring you to try and predict your future behaviour based on the past. I personally recommend that you use a facility called Check My File to view your full credit report. What this offers is a free 30-day trial for new users and it accesses your full credit report from multiple credit reference agencies such as Experian, Equifax, Call Credit, TransUnion, you name it, they've got it. The links to the free trial are in my comments, in my bio online. And for further information, if you need any help, please feel free to contact me. And as I mentioned earlier, lenders' criteria is not published. So it really is impossible for you directly to pinpoint which lender wants what. But that's where we come into the equation, sorry, because we have a reasonable idea of which lenders are pickier and what they look for in a borrower. So check my file is the ideal report for us to see who is willing to lend to you and who isn't. In relation to your credit report as well, make sure you check that the addresses on your file is all correct. So it's one thing people tend to miss Always check that your address is up to date on all your active accounts, even if you no longer use them. So for example, one of my clients was unable to get a mortgage with a lender because of her unused but still active old mobile phone contract was listed at a previous address. So anything unusual like that, for, for whatever reason, causes lenders to worry and panic. So do make sure everything is up to date in relation to your address history. And one last quick tip before we move on, make sure you get yourself on the voters roll. If not, it makes things very difficult from a lender's perspective to verify your current address. Another thing I see quite frequently is first-time buyers with low or poor credit scores, and that can take time to rebuild. So one bit of advice I could give to you is possibly taking out a credit card or a credit commitment and make sure you always repay in full to avoid the interest. So for example, put about £50 uh, on your credit card each month, maybe to pay for petrol, 
but make sure it's cleared each month for several months or a year and that should help boost your score. Also in addition, try not to miss any payments or pay later than the agreed date on your credit commitments and try and keep other applications down to a minimum leading up to applying for your first mortgage. In relation to the credit card, I'd never withdraw cash and never apply for a mortgage after you've been rejected because these determine hard credit searches on your file. The more you apply, the lower your credit score is going to become. Now, as a first-time buyer, you may consider what type of mortgage you want to choose. And it's important to understand that mortgage is just a loan, though, admittedly, a very big one, a massive one, in fact. It has two special characteristics that it takes a long time to repay and the loan is secured against your potential new home. I'm going to do more of a topic on that in a later episode in terms of what types of mortgages to choose as it is quite long-winded but very informative at the same time. Okay, so the very last scenario is taking you through the mortgage journey from start to finish and ensuring that the process is as simple as possible. The first stage of your mortgage journey for me would be getting an idea of how much you can borrow beforehand before approaching a lender. So your broker will discuss with you your income and expenditure and any other basic details and this will obtain an agreement in principle certificate for you. Now the certificate will give you an idea on how much potentially you can borrow from the lender but it does not constitute to a mortgage offer. Normally you see estate agents that want an agreement in principle certificate to be provided particularly in a heated property market as well. This will determine whether they'll accept an offer from you as well. But for first time buyers, especially, it can boost your confidence once you are accepted. But be wary that it doesn't offer any guarantees. When you obtain an agreement in principal certificate as well, majority of lenders will only do a soft credit check on you as well. But as I've advised before, try not to do too many applications in a short space of time. Then the next stage for you first-time buyers is to go out there and find the property that suits your needs. And if you like it, that's where you make the offer. And once it becomes accepted, that's when a broker comes back into play. Then your broker should be in a position to make their recommendations. So what they'll do, they'll source the cheapest option for you based on your personal circumstances and go through a recommendation in terms of what the mortgage will cost, how much you borrow, etc., how much deposit to put down, and that's done in a more detailed discussion. Once you are happy to proceed with your broker or advisor's recommendation, then they will apply to the lender on your behalf. And in the meantime, a survey or valuation is carried out on the property that you've made an offer on, and then whoever you've appointed as your conveyancer or solicitor they will undertake local searches to get moving. Once the application has been underwritten, that tends to go to mortgage offer, and that is made by your chosen lender. That is the best news in the world. They have granted the mortgage to you on that property. From there, the legal team take over the case and do any final checks, but you're always able to speak to our advisors to make sure all the arrangements in place before you exchange your contracts. What I mean by exchange of contracts, quite straightforward, you and the seller are technically or now legally bound to go ahead with that move. 
and then that rolls over to completion. You've got the keys, all money is transferred to you and you will receive the keys, most importantly, to your new home and then you can move in. Happy days, you have your first home. Now the service timescales between an application up to offer and then from offer to completion can vary. So it's always advisable to speak to your broker or your legal team throughout the process just to get an idea on when things will be either moving forward or completing. And breathe, relax. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. That is your first time buyer guide and top tips for purchasing your first property. I hope you found that useful, informative, interesting. I hope I've attached our first time buyer guide to the links, my bio and in comments, etc. And feel free to ask any questions along the way if there was something I may have missed off or something you may not have understood please feel free to look at any of my other episodes that are attached to the podcast as it may become useful to you. And please spread the word. Please share, like, subscribe and leave a rating on the podcast. That will be hugely appreciated. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening. And remember, let's get down to business.